0: out there good let's get our Bibles out this morning to be in Matthew chapter 6 working our way through the Lord's prayer how many are elevating their prayer life Amen two people praise God thanks for that hand we should be praying more now than ever amen So many needs in the world, so much darkness in the world. We just need God's kingdom to come and his will to be done. Amen. As we're looking at the Lord's prayer today, we've identified that Jesus' disciples had the courage to ask him to teach us to pray. And Jesus answered their request by giving them exactly what they asked for. He didn't teach them a prayer. He taught them a template of prayer, teaching them how to pray. We're learning that the Lord's prayer is not just a prayer to be prayed, but it's a template of prayer that shows us how we should approach God, how we should bring our needs before him, how we should address the issue of our own sin, how we should extend forgiveness to others. And we're going to continue in the template this morning. I'm going to read you Matthew 6, uh, verses 9 through 13. 13 is our target verse this morning. We're going to spend a little time unpacking that. So let's just thank God for the word. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you for this study. Thank you that the disciples are brave enough to ask you to teach them. Father, we want to be teachable, so teach us today, Holy Spirit, and we humble ourselves, Lord, and we ask that you would open up our minds and our hearts, and Father, any misconceptions or wrong thoughts or bad theology that we've held on to, Lord God, Father, we're asking the Holy Spirit to just wipe it away today and give us truth. Father, we ask all this in Jesus' name, and the church said, Amen. Matthew 6, starting in verse 9. Jesus answering their question. Lord, teach us to pray. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts or our trespasses or our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Verse 13, and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. So we worked our way through the template here getting to the end. We noticed in verse 11 a shift took place because in the first part of the Lord's prayer we're taught to come to God acknowledging that he's our father. Then we're taught to, you know, honor the fact that he sits on heaven's throne. See, the implication that God sits on heaven's throne means that he has all power and authority. You don't bring something to the Lord and he says, oh, this is above my pay grade. I'll have to check. No, there's nothing that you can bring to a God who sits on heaven's throne that's above his pay grade. Amen. So our father has all power and all authority. We come into his presence reverencing him. Hallowed be thy name. Amen. In a sense of awe, we worship our way into the presence of the Lord. Now, I know sometimes when it's an emergency, you know, we skip the formalities and we jump right in and we say, Jesus, help! Been in any of those situations maybe this week? (laughs) You know, God is gracious like that, but he's showing us how to get into the presence of God. The shift takes place in verse 11, where we stop focusing on who he is and where he is and how awesome his name is and worshiping him to bringing our needs before him. We learn that our needs before the Lord are, are presented in a way that we see God as our bread. Give us our daily bread. Amen. Bread symbolizes sustenance and provision in Scripture. And if you've ever had a piece of fresh bread that's hot out of the oven, come on, Pastor Mike's getting the Holy Ghost on the front row right now. I, I heard it. I heard it starting to happen here. That bread, you cut it and the steam comes out, and then you put like more butter on it than you, than you probably should, but it's all right it just melts. Man, that's, that's how God's provision is to us. God doesn't have a supply chain issue. God doesn't have any shortages in heaven. There's no bare shelves in heaven. Father, I need this. Sorry, we're all out. It's on back order. Not in heaven. God has a ready supply of what we need. And so we approach him. He's bred to us. He sustains us physically and spiritually. And then we noted that we're a needy people. We bring our needs before him because we have a lot of needs. Isn't that true? Now, we try to look like we have it all together. We can handle everything. But the truth is, all of us every day have a lot of needs. In fact, turn to your neighbor and say, you're pretty needy. You're kind of high maintenance. High maintenance, yeah. You say, who can handle all my needs? Only God. There's no man, there's no woman, there's no government agency, there's no person, there's no, nobody who could meet all our needs but God. So bring your needs to God every day and get that fresh bread from him. Let him sustain you. Now, verse 12, we talked about our debts, our sin. We confess our sin to God, and he's faithful and just to forgive us. If we say we're without sin, we're kidding ourselves. We deceive ourselves. So even though we're saved and we're born again and our eternity is settled, and, you know, we're headed for heaven. We still sin. In fact, if I ask the question this morning, how many people sinned this week? If you didn't raise your hand, you're lying in church. In fact, some of us sinned in the parking lot on the way in. Married couples who rode in together. Yeah, you probably. That's why we take separate cars. Amen. But sin is something we all struggle with. So we bring our sin to God, we confess, and he forgives us. And we like that arrangement. But the truth is, we also have to forgive others who sin against us. Right. And sometimes that's harder, and we talked about that last week. But we continue in the template here with verse 13. And, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, this one line is all loaded with so many implications and so much truth. We're going to just take the rest of the morning to unpack it and enjoy every part of it. Right out of the box, the wording of verse 13 should create a little bit of tension or intrigue in the spirit of every seasoned saint who knows God's word. And here's why. Because it says, to the Father, Jesus says to pray, lead us not into temptation. But those of us who know our Bibles know that the Bible says very clearly that God doesn't tempt us. Come on now, don't read over this fast and ignore it. We got we to gotta figure out what's going on here because James 1.13 says this, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted, that's us, when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. There's a, a, a really great theological progression of sin. It starts out of, uh, as temptation, a thought. We put it into practice. We do it. Then it becomes a sin. It leads to something habitual, and eventually, if unchecked, leads to death. Now, the, the Scripture is saying very clearly that God does not tempt people. Are we all on the same page? Yet it seems like Jesus is saying, you know, for us to pray to the the Father, lead us not into temptation. So the wording should, you know, should get us to think what's really going on here. Jesus is really not telling us to pray that God wouldn't tempt us. He is uh, because God doesn't tempt, and he knows that very well being God himself. He's He's teaching us to pray in a way that would insulate ourselves from our own weaknesses. Amen. God, save me from myself. Because I'm weak, and you know what? If I get anywhere as close to temptation, just direct my steps and protect me from myself and order my life in such a way that that I don't get sucked into these things that would cause me to sin. Someone say amen. This is the Word's way of us daily coming before the Lord and crying out to God to save us from ourselves, to protect us from our weaknesses, because all of us have an attraction, and an appetite to sin. And we're going to talk about that today. But understand, God doesn't tempt us. No one can say, oh, God really tempted me this week. No, he tests us, but he doesn't tempt us to sin. That's the work of the enemy. That's that's a different process. God is not tempting us to sin, but God orders our steps, and we're saying, God, insulate me. Order my steps. Protect me from myself in such a way that I don't even come close to the things that I'm drawn to amen how many know if you can stay away from the things that you have a weakness for you you can do pretty good anybody at certain foods you know there's certain foods at my age i should not eat and sometimes because of holidays or people giving us gifts or whatever the house is loaded with them you know if there's a cake there to me you might say well that cake has 15 slices that's 15 servings no that's my cake serving size is cake, a cake. I have no self, I mean, I'm telling you, like, I do really good. If it's not in the house, I'm fine. And so this is our way of saying, God, don't don't, direct my steps, protect me from myself, insulate me from my weaknesses. Why? Because we're talking about temptation here. Temptation is the mechanism that causes us to sin. Temptation puts the thought out there, puts the opportunity out there, puts the person in front of us, uh, drops the idea into our heads. Come on, anybody ever been there? And then what happens, we're tempted, and, and sometimes we resist, and, and it works out good, but sometimes we give in to the temptation. Temptation is the mechanism that leads us to sin. And that's why Jesus is saying here, uh, pray to the Father that he insulates you from your own weaknesses, protects you from your own uh, you know, appetites, and just allows you to avoid, often, draws into the snare of sin. Now, uh, we've we got to take a look at what the implications are here in in dealing with sin because all of us are tempted by certain things. Some people are tempted by one thing that doesn't tempt another. Some person like, man, I have no ability to resist this. But the other thing, we're all different. You know that some people are really tempted with money. Some people could care less about money. Some people are tempted to, you know, flame up their pride and their ego. And some people like, man, I just don't want to be noticed. You know, don't think because, you know, you're okay in one area that you don't have, you know, an an issue or an appetite with sin because all of us have weaknesses. So how do we insulate ourselves? We're praying, God, insulate me, you know, from this, save me from myself. How do we insulate ourselves from our attraction to sin? How do we insulate ourselves from being tempted? Three ways. Number one, by fully surrendering to God's perfect will for our lives. If you're taking notes today, write that down. You and I have to come to a place where we see eye to eye with God and we submit and surrender ourselves to God's will for our lives. God has a will for your life this morning, amen. The Bible reveals his general will. The Holy Spirit reveals his specific will. God's general will for us is one thing, but he also has unique callings and giftings for all of us. Now, if we're fully surrendered to God's perfect will for our lives, that will insulate us from a lot of temptation that would draw us off on tangents and get us stuck in places we never belonged. How many ever followed a tangent or a temptation and wound up in a place you never thought you would be? You know you didn't belong there. You're like surrounded. You're like, man, I don't belong. People are raising their hands up all over. I mean, like, what am I doing here? Oh, some people are trying to look holy. No, we all find ourselves in those spots, and in many ways, it's because we haven't made peace with the will of God for our lives. I've had to ask myself on many occasions questions like this, am I at peace with God's will for my life, or am I at war with it? You might think, man, you're called to be a pastor. You got it easy. You just pray all day and read the Bible and look at the birds and they only work one day a week. <laughs> there are more pastors who are at war with their calling right now than almost anything else I know. you have seeing pastors dropping from pulpits like flies. you have seen them fall to immorality. You're seeing them to fall to exhaustion. You're seeing them just sick and tired of dealing with church stuff and church people. Good morning. Welcome to Full Gospel Center today. Just telling you the truth, Amen. Yeah if you think it's a picnic come hang with me for a week after we resuscitate you after the first 15 hours we can drag you the rest of the week you don't believe me okay so we've got to be at peace with god's will for our lives and You know, if we're at war with God's will for our lives, there's going to be a conflict. It's going to open chinks up in our armor, and it's going to allow us to be tempted. The second thing I've got to ask myself, and you should ask yourself, is this. Do I allow God to order my steps, or am I constantly jumping out of line? You see, if you're not at peace with who God called you to be, if you're not at peace with, you know, the people you should surround yourself with, the things you should busy yourself doing, then you're not going to stay in line with the steps that God's ordered for you. You're going to jump out of line. You know, how many times have, you know, maybe growing up or maybe you've said it to your own kids, you're out of line or you looked at someone and you thought, man, they're just completely out of line and they shouldn't even be there doing this or saying that or, or you know for a christian that that behavior's out of line yeah. come on now second service and you say, why do we get out a line? Why do we jump out of line? Why are we always going off on tangents? Why are we trying to live so close to the world? And, you, you know, instead of living close to Jesus, which kind of straddling the fence between the two, it's because we're not at peace with our calling and we're at war with it and we have not allowed the Lord to order our steps and we're constantly out of line. Tangents will put you in places you never should have been where there's no grace for you there and temptation will be right in front of you. God help us to be at peace with the call that you put on each of our lives, to allow you to order our steps so we don't wind up in places where there's no grace for us. The third question I've had to ask myself, and and you need to ask yourself as well, am I busy with or bored with the things of the kingdom? You see, if we're busy with the things of the kingdom and we're not off on tangents doing our own things, if we haven't stepped out of line, but we've allowed God to order our steps, then we're going to be busy about doing the things that we should be doing. I found out a long time ago when I was young and I had a lot of energy, I didn't have time to do my thing and God's thing. Now that I'm in my 50s here, I I barely have time to do anything and energy. I only can do one thing. My sons will say, well, we're going to work, we're going to the gym, we're going to the mall, we're going to the movies. All in one day? That's like a got to pick one. One and take a nap. One. But when I'm busy doing the right things and I'm excited about doing the right things, I don't have the energy to do the wrong things. So am I busy with or bored with the things of the kingdom? You see, some people are bored of church. They're bored of sitting under the Word. They're bored of being in ministry. They're bored about thinking about souls. They're bored. They want to have fun. They want to busy themselves with the pleasures of this world. And there's time for that, but it has to be secondary to the call of God on our lives. If we're not comfortable doing God's thing, we're going to do other things that don't fulfill us. Listen to me, young people. You can chase the wind out there. You can chase money and pleasure and treasure and all the things that the world tries to make seem that it's so cool. And in the end, you'll be tired, exhausted, and still empty. I guarantee it. Because only Jesus will fill your heart. Only the call of God will give you purpose and pleasure and excitement. Amen. You say, I've heard people say it's boring serving God. You're not doing it right. You're not doing it right. Serving God is exciting. The things of the kingdom are exciting. Watching people's lives change are exciting. Speaking truth into darkness, it's exciting. Amen. (laughs) Don't cheer me on or anything. I might get more frisky. Be fully surrendered to God's perfect will for your life. Don't be at war with it. Don't busy yourself doing other things and going off on tangents, but busy yourself with the things of God and get excited about kingdom things, amen? Father, I pray you pour excitement out on your people that your presence would so excite us and that your mission for each of our lives would so excite us that we would pursue it with joy and that it would be a blessing to us each day. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. So number two, let's look at the second thing that insulates us. We're talking about temptation here. We've acknowledged the fact that all of us have weaknesses towards it. And, and we the one thing that we have to start is doing to surrender to God's perfect will for our lives. That'll insulate us, number two. The second thing that'll insulate us from being tempted is by putting on the full armor of God. Now, if you're a new Christian, you might not uh, understand this or hear about it. I'm going to explain it very quickly this morning. But in Ephesians 6, it talks about putting on the armor of God. And it's a, it's a, it's a, a picture that we can get in our mind's eye of putting on certain our armaments that a soldier would wear that would protect us in the spiritual battle that we're in realize this morning we we are in a spiritual battle every day some of you feel it some of you might not some of you are in the thick of it some of you are just getting the taste but it is a battle out there for you to serve the lord hold on to your values maintain your morality can maintain your witness is a fight every day and it's getting harder, and it's getting darker, and the other team is getting more aggressive and more vitriolic. Oh, I wish there were some Christians here this morning. Say, well, nobody's bothering me. You better get saved at the end of the service. You, the devil's not bothering you. You better, you? you better accept Jesus because if he's not bothering you, that means you're no threat to his kingdom. But every single one of you that love Jesus and want to serve the purpose of God for your life, that carry the gospel, that preach the truth, that share love with your friends, every single one of you that cares for souls, that has a heart for ministry, I might just be talking to two people, I don't know, but every single one of you that has that, you're a threat to the kingdom of darkness. God didn't send us here so we could just camp out and huddle and hang on to each other and go, Oh, Jesus, come back and save me. He sent us here to occupy, to conquer, to be more than conquerors, to preach the of truth and love, to, to draw people in who are broken and hurting. Look, there's a world out there that's confused. They're hurting. They're being told lies, and they're saying, Well, that must be the truth. I'll do that. And then they're winding up more empty than they started out with. Don't be afraid of the dark. Don't be afraid of the lies. Listen, lies don't work. You you can try them. You can believe them. But in the end, you're going to be more empty than when you started. Let's start sharing the truth in love with broken people and seeing what Jesus will do. Amen. We got to get hungry. We got to get excited. Nobody wants to come to a dead church. Let me join the dead people. No, the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be alive and exciting. So put on the full armor of God. Listen to Ephesians 6, excuse me. It says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against powers and against the world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist uh, on the day of evil. And having done everything to stand firm, stand firm, therefore, listen, hear the hear the." Here are the parts that we're supposed to put on the belt of of truth on your waist, having the breastplate of righteousness, having strapped on your feet the perspiration of the not the perspiration, the preparation of the gospel of peace. Taking up the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit where we can extinguish all the arrows of the evil one, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit. So there are all of the parts there. If you want to study that, get in Ephesians 6, start in verse 12. Listen online to the message I preached about this. But every part of that armor is a picture of something spiritual we're supposed to carry every day to protect and defend our faith. Amen. We need that stuff on. We need the helmet of salvation. Why? There's so much deception out there that if we don't have the Lord protecting our mind, we might believe some of it. We need the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Why? Because only the word of God pushes back the lies of the enemy. We need that breastplate of righteousness. We need the shield of faith to quench those fiery darts. Amen? Anybody out there getting shot at all day long You know, because of your Christian witness? It's amazing what they call us. It's amazing what they think of us. You say, does it bother you? Not at all. I would rather be a fool in the eyes of man than a fool in the eyes of God. So put on that armor. You know, just a few months ago in Ukraine, you could walk down the street and look like a normal civilian. You could wear Western clothes, and they were, and they were just living life, going to coffee houses and eating meals out and just going to work, being normal and ordinary. But now people walking down the streets of Ukraine, they are wearing body armor, Kevlar helmets, combat boots, and they're carrying weapons. Why? Because now they're a nation at war. And they dress accordingly, amen? You don't see people walking through the streets now wearing flip-flops and shorts and woo. because they know they're at war. And if you walk down the street like that, you're not going to be protected, and you might not make it where you're going, and you might not make it home when you're done. We're at war as well, and we need to dress accordingly. We need to wear our spiritual armor every day. Amen? We shouldn't be going out of the house not spending time with Jesus, not spending time in prayer. We need to be prayed up and filled up and and armed up, amen, to have the word of truth tucked in our heart to share with people that shield, that helmet, all of those things. Study Ephesians 6. Begin to understand your spiritual protection. Please don't dress up like this and go out in public. I've seen sermons where they get people up here and they put each thing on, and I get that we're visual, but it's not literal. But spiritually, we've we've got to have these things in order. If not, we're not going to be insulated from temptation. We're going to be overcome when the enemy attacks. And we're going to have a hard time maintaining our faith and maintaining the trajectory of our lives. Why? Because we're not spiritually prepared for the environment that we're living in. Number three, the last thing we need to do to insulate ourselves from sin is to address our flesh. You know, all of us... The Bible talks about the flesh. All of us are wrapped in skin. Go ahead feel 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 yourself this morning. Amen. Anybody? Come on Pastor Mike. You got it? You got it? let's see. You got, you got any hide on there? My grandpa used to say, "I'll tan your hide," he used to say. Flesh, what's that? That's what we're covered in. The Bible uses it as an image of, of the sinful nature. Why? Because when Adam and Eve sinned, sin got into the human race and we inherited sin in our spiritual DNA to the point where we don't have to be taught how to sin, we're just good at it. Anybody good at sin? Amen. A few brave people, amen. Got a black belt in it, good at it. Been practicing for years. And the thing is we have to address the nature of our flesh. I talked about the fact that, you know, all of us have weaknesses in certain areas. Now, there are some things in life that you ignore at your own peril. Some people's tactics, some people are not confrontational or they're, you know, they don't, they don't like to, you know, they, they, they just choose, well, if I ignore it, it's not real. No, there are certain things in life, if you ignore it, it gets worse. There's certain things you ignore at your own peril. You know, financial issues. If you ignore them, the bills are stacking up. The phone calls are coming. The collection agency has you on speed dial, and you can't just ignore that because it's going to get worse and what about cracks in your emotional health you know people are stressed out and they're anxious and their their emotional health is falling apart and they don't want to address it how about compromises in your spiritual walk you used to be closer with Jesus you used to pray you used to be involved but you're not anymore and you're regressing instead of pushing forward you're slipping back into the old patterns how about negative patterns in your relationships your marriage has lost its communication. It's lost its passion. You don't connect with your family anymore. And, and, and what's the thing? Either you address it or you ignore it. But if you ignore it, you do it at your own peril. Some of us have problems in our homes with our, our, with our spouses, with our children, with our finances. Listen, this morning I want to say wake up and stop ignoring things. They're not going to go away until we address them. Amen. Somebody's going to hear that this morning, and it's going to make a difference if you take action. Our sinful nature, expressed in the flesh that we talked about, uh, brings out the weaknesses we have towards sin, and they can't be ignored. They must be addressed. A story describing this internal battle that all of us have going on inside us is the tale of two wolves. Maybe some of you heard this before, but it bears repeating. This is the tale of two wolves. One night around the campfire, an old Cherokee chief told his grandson about a battle that goes on inside each and every one of us. He said, My son, there is a battle between two wolves going inside you, inside me, and inside everyone. One wolf is evil he's anger, jealousy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self pity, resentment, lies, false pride, and ego. The other wolf is good. He's joy, peace, love, hope, humility, kindness, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. The fight rages on in you and in me, grandson. And everyone who lives has the two wolves at war within them. Staring into the fire for a long time, the grandson finally blurted out, grandfather, which wolf wins? The one you feed, he says. And how true it is that we have a sin nature and we have a spiritual nature we have a sin nature that wants to drag us into all of those things that the wicked wolf loves pride and ego and lust and greed but yet we have another inside us the holy spirit of god that yearns to conform us to the image of christ to fill us with love and passion and truth and care and it's the one that we feed that grows stronger this principle is seen in fasting. When we fast right away, when your body doesn't have food, what happens? Your flesh cries out. You know, it's like my stomach makes noises that you know they can pick up on sonar. Anybody? I was so hungry the other day, my stomach's like, What's that? Your flesh is crying out. You know what? The longer you don't eat when you're hungry, man. I don't know about you, I become hangry. Anybody? I start to get snippy. That's yes, my wife. She, she gets hangry, too. When we're both hungry in the car, it's dangerous. It's, you know, it's like, find a place to eat quick. We're, but it's like your flesh cries out. I'm, feed me. I'm hungry. You know, when you turn your plate over and you fast, your flesh will cry out for a time, but then it'll get to the point where it, it stops. Some of you, have. I've never experienced that. I've eaten every 20 minutes my entire life. <laughs> Try this at home. Turn your plate over fast, fast for a meal, fast for a day, and you'll see your flesh will cry out at first, but it'll stop, and then your spirit will become more sensitive than your flesh. The problem with us is our flesh is so well fed that our spirit is dull and tired and lethargic. <laughs> and we've got we've to we've learn that internal struggle between the flesh and the spirit inside us. We've got to feed the right one. I know when preachers start talking about prayer and fasting, it takes all the joy out of the service. But I'm making the point here that we've got we've to recognize what we're feeding in ourselves. And there is a way to address the flesh. Uh, Romans 13, 13 says this, Let us walk properly as in the day, not revel, reveling and, and in drunkenness and in lewdness and in lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Look what Paul's saying there in the book of Romans. He's saying the way to deal with your flesh is to make no provision for it. What? Don't put it in a place where it can get fed. The way to deal with the flesh is to starve it. Remember what I said, you know, when those choices aren't around, those foods aren't around, we can do good and avoiding. We need to starve our flesh to the point where our spirit gets stronger than it. God help us. You know, sometimes we feed our flesh so well that our spirit has no power and we're totally driven by the lust of our flesh. Feed me, pleasure me, make me happy, entertain me. And we see a world that's hooked up in that where they just want to be entertained all the time. They want to be fed all the time. They don't want any discomfort. They don't want to work. They want all the niceties of life, but somebody better give them to me. Come on, I'm preaching now. And the thing is that that's a bad pattern in our culture. There's no discipline. There's no self-restraint anymore. I remember my grandparents talking about saving money to buy appliances in the house. Then they invented credit cards. And no one saved money ever since. Discipline. King David prayed a very wise prayer in Psalm 141, verse 4. He said, "'Do not let my heart be drawn to what is evil.'" He's praying to the Lord. "'Do not let my heart be drawn to what is evil, so that I might take part in the wicked deeds along with those who are evildoers. Do not let me eat their delicacies.'" David is saying, Father, I understand I have weaknesses, and you know what, I don't even want to be around people who do those things. I don't want to partake of the things that they do because, you know what, maybe I'm, maybe I'm going to get snared by it, so God, keep me from it. I, I was talking to someone the other day, I can't remember who it was, but I remember saying, uh, a man told me one time I was ministering in New York City in the New York School of Urban Ministry. It was in the 80s, and it was at the peak of the crack epidemic, and I sat in the gutter with a man who was a doctor. The people knew him there from the mission, and they said, yeah, this guy used to be a doctor. He was sitting in the gutter, soaked in his own urine, uh, just looked like a homeless vagrant, and he began to share with me the story of his life, that he was a doctor. He had a successful practice. He, got, he tried crack one time. He got completely hooked on it. He lost his, his doctor's license, his practice, his wife, his family, and now he lives every day just to get high. And he looked at me in the eye, and I'll never forget this. He said, don't ever try drugs because you may like them. You see, there's some lines we shouldn't cross. There's some things we should just never do. There's some things we shouldn't try. Sometimes you let the tigers out of the cage, and they're really hard to get back in. And so David prays this prayer. I don't want to be around it. I don't want to be around people who do it. I don't want to taste it, Lord. Keep me. Save me from myself. Insulate me. From my own weakness. Sometimes we need to discern if we've allowed the enemy to get a hook in us so that it can be removed. You know, you can hook a fish on a line and then let the line go slack, and the fish might not even know it's hooked anymore until that line and the slack is taken up and the hook is set again, and then the fish realizes it's still under the power of someone else's control. Some of us have allowed the enemy to get hooks in us hooks on fear and hooks of pride, hooks of lust, hooks of ego. And those hooks are still in us. And sometimes we're not aware until he tightens up the line and hits a trigger on us. And then we feel the grip of it. This morning, God wants us to get the hooks out. God wants us to get free. God wants to deliver us from evil. We're going to talk about that in just a second the hooks of fear and pride and anger and lust, they can all be removed by the grace of God so that we're not under the power of anything but of the Holy Spirit. Verse 13b addresses this. It talks about a simple request here. It says, you know what? But deliver us from evil. Say deliver. Your God is a deliverer. Our God is a deliverer. God still delivers people from the bondage of sin. Someone say amen. No one is ever too far from God that he can't deliver them. Come on, every year we have the Walter Holding Home Girls come and give testimonies. And and if you, if you've been here for that, raise your hand. When you every, Almost everybody. When you hear the testimonies that they give, I was hooked on this. I was stuck on that. I was in prostitution. I was gone for 15, 20, 30 years. I had kids. I lost families. I. Lo- and then you see them up there, and God saved them. God's delivered them. God's given them a second chance. Come on this morning. That's the God that we serve. That's the reason why we have them come every year. <laughs> to remind church people that their God still saves, that their God still delivers, amen? amen. And so it's a simple request. God, deliver us from evil. Now, I don't want to freak anybody out this morning, but the enemy of our souls is actively plotting against us. He's watching us. He's patterning us. He's looking for weaknesses in us, and he's planning to ambush us. Say, well, that's a little scary. That's a little crazy. Why why would you think that? Because that's the nature of our enemy. He's not just going to let you go and serve Jesus and have a blessed life and go on to heaven. He's going to harass you and challenge you and try to snare you every step of the way. And so we need deliverance in our lives. When we pray for God to deliver us from evil, it happens in three ways. These are the three implications of this verse, deliver us from evil. Number one, God, when he delivers us from evil, will deliver us from deception. Deception is what allows us to be tempted and draws us into sin. First, we're deceived. No one does a sin because they think it's not going to be fun. Anybody? If the enemy came to you and said, this is going to be terrible, you're not going to enjoy it, it's going to cost you everything you ever had, you're going to regret it immediately, what do you say? That's not the way it works. Come on, we all just admitted we were sinners before. Don't look blank now. No, it seems fun, it seems exciting, it seems like a good time, it seems like it's worth a try. And so, you know, this deception grabs hold of us And we're tempted. And the thing that we need to be delivered from is first our deception. The enemy is a deceiver. He always has been. Listen to the description of Satan in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. So the great dragon was cast out, the old serpent called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. See, that's his job. That's what he does, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. In Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, what did the serpent do? He came and deceived them. And what did he deceive them on? The word of God. God told them, don't eat from the tree. You can eat from all the trees, but don't eat from this tree. And the serpent came and said, did God say that? He, did he say you couldn't eat from that tree? And he said, God said, we'll die if we'll eat from that tree. And he said, you surely won't die. Do You see what he did? He brought deception and confusion about what God had said, and then he twisted God's word, and he deceived Adam and Eve, and sin entered into man. Deception is the nature of our enemy, so we need to be delivered from deception. Some of us think things and have ideologies and twisted theologies and religious ideas that don't line up with Scripture, and God wants to deliver us from deception so the enemy can't trick us. When we pray, deliver us from evil, we're saying, God, deliver me from deception. Number two, God also delivers us from falling to the snares of sin. Have you ever just been you know living your life and doing your thing and all of a sudden in the middle of your day you're tempted with something or you you, you stumble into something that is, is, a, is, a, is a temptation and a snare and it's almost like well where did that come from a person in front of you that tempts you an old friend from the neighborhood a, a, an old you know person that you were in a relationship with come on is it getting real for anybody out here Someone in the office who's, you know, maybe made sexual advances, and all of a sudden now there's this temptation. What is that? That's an ambush of the enemy. That, that's a booby trap for you spiritually. Have you seen them war movies where they're walking through the jungle and there's a little stainless steel, you know, piece of piano wire, and what do they do? They trip it, and what happens? All hell breaks loose. When we pray, deliver us from evil, we're praying, God, keep me from the traps and the snares of the enemy that I'm gonna face today. Insulate me from it, protect me from it, and when I come face to face with obstacles and giants, give me the faith and the tenacity to resist the devil so that he'll flee from me. Deliver us from evil. The third way that God answers this prayer is this, God delivers us from deception, from the traps and the snares that the enemy puts in front of us, and he also delivers us from the things that we're already bound by. You say, Pastor, forget about traps and snares and tricks and deception. I ran right into sin, jumped in, and I've been stuck there ever since. Yeah. Come on. You, know, I, I'm not, you don't have to look holy this morning. Some of us, you know, oh, I stumbled into sin. Stumbled? You did a swan dive off the high diving board. <laughs> stumbled? You're like, <laughs> No, what happens when we're stuck? What happens when it's got a grip on us? What happens when we're addicted? Well, that prayer, God, deliver us from evil, is the exact prayer that we need to pray. There's things that already have us bound, and God is still a deliverer. Being delivered from evil means that God is able to deliver us from all the bondages that currently have a grip on our life, from those hooks that are in us, that need to be removed. Listen, are you stuck in addiction today and you can't break free? Your God is a deliverer. Are you bound by habitual sin, by sexual immorality, by pornography? Your God is a deliverer. Are you stuck in bad choices, in ruts, in stubbornness and rebellion? Your God is a deliverer. Are you bound by fear, by anxiety, by mental issues? Your God is a deliverer. Are you confused? Are you stuck in doubt and unbelief? Are you playing around and dabbling in witchcraft and getting sucked into the occult? Your God is a deliverer. Our God delivers. Deliver us from evil. And that's how Jesus taught us to pray. Now, I'm going to close the message down today. uh, And I want to give you an opportunity uh, the end of service or in the next days. Listen, if you're hearing what I'm saying here and you need to be delivered, I don't want you to just walk out of here and go, oh, it's a good message, but I'm going to just keep doing my thing. No, You get on the phone, you call the church, you make an appointment, you call them to altar, you pray, but allow God to deliver you. Don't stay stuck. Jesus teaches us the template here. You know, God, deliver us from evil. That is not just a a pipe dream or a hope or some distant thing. No, it's a very real possibility to those who will come out of the dark, into the light, confess sin, and ask Jesus to deliver them from evil. Amen. Let's bow our heads this morning. Father, I just thank you for this message. I thank you for this template that Jesus has taught us. Father, I pray this morning, Lord God, that you would uh, tug on each of our hearts. Father, that uh, we would understand the nature of our flesh. We would understand our affinity towards sin and our weaknesses, Lord. Uh, God, I just pray this morning that, uh, Father, you would help us to find deliverance and that we would find our delight in doing the things of God once again, that We would resist temptation, Lord. The Bible says to resist the devil and he'll flee from us. Father, teach us that we're overcomers, that we're not defeated, that we're more than conquerors. Father, deliver each of us from the things that afflict us and the things that bring us into bondage. Free your people this morning. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Give him praise.